We welcome you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are here to worship God. People of God, will you please join me in the call to worship? Will you please stand and join me in the call to worship? May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. Thank you. 
Please join me in prayer. We welcome you, O God, humbled by your invitation. Please come to you, O God, grateful with hearts yearning for repentance. Help us, Lord, to turn away from the paths that take from you. Help us to make choices for good and not for evil, for compassion and not for selfish gain. We want to follow you, but we cannot do it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to shape our desires and forge our will to yours. Forgive us when we try to control even our relationship with you and your relationship with others. We confess, Lord, and we repent. Help us in our repentance. We're now invited during this time of silence to bring our personal confessions before the Lord. God abounds in love and mercy and welcomes our return. For in Christ, God came to us that we might have abundant life. In Christ, we are forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. with you. As we greet one another, children fifth grade and younger may uh, meet their Sunday school leaders in the uh, back of the sanctuary. Youth uh, sixth grade and older are gathering in the youth room. Let's now greet each other with the signs of peace. What a blessing it is for us to gather here together. This morning, I would like to let you know that our choir has been on retreat this weekend, and I was fortunate enough to be with them last night for a sneak preview, and they are just going to be bringing us the most beautiful music, and they have been preparing for that for us. So we're grateful to have with us today Katie Pollitt, who is our solo artist. Welcome, Katie, and thank you for being with us. I know you appreciate Katie, but you don't know how much you should appreciate Katie. You do not want Jan Cook up here leading you in singing. <laughs> it would not sound the same. <laughs> 
As a community of believers, you know, we do gather to worship, but we also gather to study, to pray, to play, to eat together, and um, to serve together. And I'd like to draw your attention to just a couple of those opportunities. So next Sunday is our annual Village Fest, although we're kicking it up a notch, and it's our Village Fiesta next Sunday. So it's going to be a unified service at 10 10 a.m. You know, church statistics tell us that when churches do a unified service of several services, the um, attendance goes way down. I I just can't believe that. Why would you miss a party? So you guys, let's just show the statistical people how wrong they are. Everybody come. Let's see what it looks like when Village Church has a blowout. And we'll just come and we'll have a a wonderful uh, uh, worship service with a wonderful speaker, Jack Baca, who is going to be coming and he'll probably be staying after that. So we want to welcome him back to the pulpit. So anyway, it's at 10 o'clock and then we'll have a, a lunch afterwards. So please be mindful of that. Our backpack drive has been a huge success. So we did extend it to this Sunday and there, you can see some of them gathered in the back. And we'll let you know how many backpacks we've gathered in the next week, week or two when the numbers all come out. Just wanted to let you know that on behalf of the Village Church, our Mission Commission donated $10,000 to the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance Fund that will be earmarked and go directly to help those who have uh, have lost everything in the fire in Maui. And if you would like to contribute to that as well, you can see that on our website or uh, on the the QR code that came with you in the news and notes midweek announcement that came out. So you can add to that as well, but, but money is going directly to them. And I'd like you to also draw your attention and please take a look at the inserts in your bulletin. You have two of them. You have this one and this one. And this one, this beautiful uh, village fiesta designed by Amanda Thompson, our own media person, is so great. And it also lets you know some of the studies that are starting in the the coming weeks. So take notice of this. And then this one is uh, a campaign that will be kicking off about our new hymnals and Bibles. If you didn't know we're getting them, we are getting them, and they're going to be in the pews. So this is to let you know how we're going to be doing that. So here they are, and please pay attention to that. Those are some things to take notice of. At this time, I would like to invite uh, Hugh Greenway and Don McNeil, who are going to come and talk to you a little bit about uh, the Village Church Foundation. Good morning. I'm Hugh Greenway. I'm here with Don McNeil. We're both from our Village Christian Foundation here at the church. Over the years, each of us, including all of you, supported the church in its annual giving and the budget every year and in our building campaigns to build these fabulous facilities. We want to give you the opportunity to attend a legacy seminar two Sundays from now on September the 10th after the second service. We'll have a free luncheon, so that'll draw people, and a program in our fellowship hall sponsored by our Village Church Foundation. Don's gonna talk a little bit about this wills and trust luncheon and seminar. Don? Thank you, Dr. Greenway. What legacy will you leave? That's the question that we hope to help you answer. And to do that, we've invited 
back to our campus, Attorney Christina Hess, who's been here before. She is a well-recognized and very well-qualified speaker in the area of trusts and wills and estates. And she will explain some of the basics that some people need to be reminded of, why you may need a trust or a will, or update the trust or will that you currently have. And a lot of the reasons that she'll give you will be common sense. Uh, some of the reasons will be changes in the law that we've encountered in virtually each of the last 10 years. And some of those laws have changed prospectively, and we already know there's going to be some significant impacts on tax planning and other good reasons why you must pay attention to the legacy that you live. So please plan on calling the office this week and letting us know to hold a place for you and to order lunch for you. Please join us. Thank you. With so much to be grateful for, that God has supplied us with every need, people of God, let's continue to praise God as we commit our tithes and gifts and offerings to the Lord.
As God's people called to love one another, let us pray for the needs of the church, the whole human family, and all the world, saying, hear our prayer. That churches of all traditions may discover their unity in Christ and exercise their gifts in service of all. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. That the earth may be freed from war, famine and disease, and the air, soil, and waters cleansed of poison. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. That those who govern and maintain peace in every land may exercise their powers in obedience to your commands. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. That you will strengthen this nation to, pers to pursue just priorities so that the races may be reconciled, the young educated, the old cared for, the hungry filled, and the homeless housed, and the sick comforted and healed. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. That you will preserve all who live and work in this village in peace and safety. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer that you will comfort and empower those who face any difficulty or trial, the sick, the disabled, the poor, the oppressed, those who grieve, those in prison. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer, that you will accept our thanksgiving for all faithful servants of Christ now at rest, who with us await a new heaven and a new earth, your everlasting kingdom. We pray to you, O God, hear our prayer. Merciful God, as a potter fashions a vessel from humble clay, you form us into a new creation. Shape us day by day through the cross of Christ Jesus, your Son, until we pray as continually as we breathe and all our acts are prayer. Through Jesus Christ and in the mystery of the Holy Spirit, we now pray as Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
do we need the rest of the service? Wow. <laughs> A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who, persecute, who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecu persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When my kids, Matt and Sarah, were little, we had a list of books that they liked to read at bedtime. And alongside the usual fare of Goodnight Moon, Amelia Bedelia, and Leo the Late Bloomer, there were two particular books that were my favorites. There was the quirky, funny, There's an Awful Lot of Weirdos in My Neighborhood by English author Colin McNaughton, and if you've never read it, you need to get it for your children or your grandchildren. It's hilarious. And a wonderful little book called The Upside Down Day. I loved this book, particularly because it introduced to my children two very important life lessons. And the first one is that it's pretty normal for plans to fall apart. You can make plans for your day, and you can make plans for your life, and it's pretty normal when those plans don't turn out or, or they get interrupted or, or circumvented. And the second is that what we thought was true may, in fact, be up for question. So keep an open mind. It also gave us a kind of a running vocabulary for when when life kind of came off the rails or came apart at the seams, we would look at each other and our family and we would just say, well, it's an upside down day. So I can only begin to imagine what an upside down day the disciples and those who gathered to hear Jesus had when he delivered the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, you see, are the shocking introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And they're given a very prominent place in the book of Matthew. They're given right up front, right at the beginning, a, a seat of importance in this first teaching. So I invite you to come with me into this story 
And together, let's let our hearts and minds walk around a little bit, look around, see what's there. And if we can, let the text itself grip us into living somewhat into the truth that it has for us. So right at the beginning, the setting for this sermon is more complex than it might appear. So let's look at that. Jesus sees the crowd, the sick and the afflicted, as he goes up the mountain and sits down. Right there. Right there. The author is letting us know how important, what an important moment this is. This description of his actions has a deep meaning for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and for those hearing the story afterwards. He goes up the mountain, which sparks a memory for them of Moses going up the mountain to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And it's a foreshadow of Jesus going up the mountain to his own transfiguration. And then what does he do? He assumes the most classical posture of a teaching rabbi by sitting down. That's how rabbis taught. They sat down and their students gathered around them. And then Matthew reports, they hung on every word. Now those closest to Jesus in this little scenario are the disciples. They're the closest. They are leaning close. They are surrounding Jesus in this small semicircle. And then onward it goes. The, the, the others are behind that and the others are behind that. And who do you think are at the very farthest out at the bottom of the mountain? Who do you think those people are? Those people are the people who couldn't get up the mountain. The lame and the sick. Maybe the poorest or maybe those who were cast out. Those were the marginalized. Those were the ones down at the bottom of the mountain. So you can imagine a double audience in this tableau. And it's really helpful to hear this double audience being spoken to in stereo. On the one hand, Jesus is speaking to his closest followers nearby. And on the other, he simultaneously speaks to the crowds, to the farthest most point of the crowds. He is preaching and teaching. He is advising and consoling. He's doing all of this all at once. Frederick Buechner, who's a, a wonderful author, sets the scene this way. They're not what you call a high-class crowd, peasants and fisher folk for the most part, on the shabby side, not all that bright. It doesn't look as if there's a hero among them. They have their jaws set and their brows are furrowed in concentration. They are blessed when they are worked over and cursed out on his account, he tells them. It is not his hard time to come, but theirs that he's most concerned about. Speaking out of his own meekness and mercy and the purity of his own heart. So Jesus begins with a word that connotes blessing. The Greek word used here is makarios. And it's very difficult to translate the essence of what makarios means into English. And the closest that some people could come up with is blessed. But blessed doesn't quite carry 
the range or the magnitude of the original language. Its meaning has, has more nuance, it has more weight and heft. You see, the idea behind the word makarios is that something is made large or lengthy. When God blesses us, God extends divine benefits to us. God enlarges his mercy for us. When we are blessed, God lengthens his charity in our direction. In other words, the long arm of grace reaches out to touch us. Who are the blessed in this story? The truly favored of God. The ones with the most justifiable right to be happy, hopeful, and content. Is it those down at the bottom of the mountain? It's not who you might think. In fact, if you and I were to draw up a list today of modern-day blessed, it would most likely sound something like this. Blessed are the rich in things and in self-assurance. Blessed are those untouched by loss. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who are realistic about righteousness, compromising at every turn. Blessed are those who demand and exact an eye for an eye. Blessed are the crafty and opportunistic. Blessed are those bold enough to make war, strong enough to take a country. Blessed are those who, doing good things, receive accolades and praise. Blessed are those who twist the gospel for money and fame and become celebrities. That list of Beatitudes, honestly, would be perfectly reasonable. It would be, after all, what we experience in the world in our age of ex excess and in our age of worship of celebrities. But it would also be utterly upside down to who Jesus says are those extended the long arm of grace and mercy from God. So Jesus directly addresses his disciples with his list of beatitudes, the blessings, the long arm. His list directly affects them. And the force of his message amounts to this. You are the so-called inner circle of my followers. But the true insiders are, in fact, down around the foot of this mountain. The empty-handed, the empty-hearted, the least of these. They are the ones truly blessed because God favors them, because God extends God's arm down to them. God is concerned for them. They are truly blessed. And so like a thunderclap in that moment, these opening words are meant to shake up conventional wisdom and shatter public illusion. It's an upside-down day. In truth, Jesus contends divine blessing attends the gentle and the merciful. Those who do the right thing, even and especially when the odds are just packed up against them. Peacemakers in a world infatuated by war that can't be creative enough to settle anything aside from violence or visionaries in a world that routinely persecutes prophets. 
So the trick here is to understand where we really are. It's to step back out of this and knowing, even knowing what we know, to understand how we have begun to routinely take for granted the way our thinking has slowly slipped down, down, down a slippery slope of compromise and pressure and contrived illusion. Even we have begun to believe the deep logic by which we often assume the world actually works. And once we uncover what it is that's gnawing at us, what it is that's conflicting with what we believe, but it's down there deep inside, once we understand that and we believe or suspect what we understand about winners and losers, all of a sudden Jesus flips the script. No, no. That is not how the world actually works, he says. No matter how things appear. On the contrary, as God has ordained the deep emerging order of creation, the truly blessed are ultimately and actually the gentle, the merciful, those who mourn, those who are persecuted, the peacemaker, the poor, And he might go on to say this, I understand that it appears to be otherwise, and that is precisely why I am beginning this way. The better to dispel the commonplace illusion, to clarify reality, to declare the dawning of the reign of God, and so to help us find our way, to find our bearings as we find our way to God's future. In this sense, the Beatitudes are an early, implicit example of the formula that Jesus later uses when he says, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you, I think it's important and helpful to understand what the Beatitudes are not in order to understand fully what they are. And in this instance, the Beatitudes are not particularly a call to action. They are not imperatives for us to become poor in spirit, for us all of a sudden to mourn, for us to be meek, for us to do something. Although when we live in the spiritual life, when we live close to God, our life becomes transformed and those things begin to flourish in our life. But they are descriptions of the way things are for the people in that moment and the way things are for many people in the world today. They are descriptions of who God is focused on with concern and with favor. These beatitudes are not a entrance requirement for the kingdom of God, but they are promises for a life to come under the reign of God as God rules. So Jesus is offering consolation to those who find themselves poor and mourning and persecuted. And here we get to hear what Jesus proclaiming the good news is really all about. It's shocking news, but it's good news for them. But neither are the Beatitudes particularly an ethical code in this sense, at least not in the familiar sense of instructions for righteous living 
or a list of tasks that once discharged may win God's favor. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to make our relationship with God transactional. I do this for you, you do this for me. We might see that show up, especially when calamity or crisis happens. When you feel like you've done everything that God has asked you to do and still you suffer. Or still someone dies. Or still we experience misfortune. That's transactional. And in the same way, we make our relationship with Scripture quite often acquisitive. That is, we attempt to read and interpret Scripture to acquire from the text some recipe for spiritual triumph. If I simply do this list of things, then this is what will happen for me. Both pathways, you see, are a poor attempt on our part to control God's actions towards us as though we could and as though we should and to shape God into doing and seeing what we see as our advantage. And how crazy do you think that is? Are you really the one that wants to be in charge? Are you really the one that wants to be in charge of how things shake out for yourself or for anyone else? How could we possibly be more advantaged than to have God with a plan cheering us on, loving us, guiding us, equipping us? And in trying to control God, what we're doing, funnily enough, is we are denying the very gifts that God is blessing us with. You see, instead of the Beatitudes being a list of ethics, they are more like a twofold pastoral gift. First, they mark out a map of divine blessing and a map that is strikingly different from the conventional one. The conventional map identifies blessings as positive goods, goods and gifts and, and talents and so on. You're blessed because you can sing. You're blessed because you can speak. You're blessed because you can do this or do that. By contrast, in the Beatitudes, Jesus highlights not goods already granted, but rather empty spaces and longings and hungers and in this way, his map is fundamentally a map of what is to come and in some mysterious way that we can't even fathom. At the very same time, what is to come and what is possible now because the kingdom of God is at hand. So we come full circle. The Beatitudes are for those of us who are called called by Christ, who call ourselves to be followers of Christ, disciples of Christ. We're crowded on that mountain close to him. We're leaning in so that we can hear. We're hanging on his every word and we're listening. As Christ compels us with the help of the Holy Spirit to understand and to willingly embrace what concerns God and who concerns God. God's compassion and mercy and longing, you see, as you've heard all morning, are for the meek and the hungry and the lost, the pure in heart and the peacemakers, 
and those who are suffering and those who are persecuted. And and Christ would have us reframe the narrative of what it means to be blessed and what it means to be rich or successful or poor or persecuted. All of those have no meaning. They are simply a placeholder. But But I can guarantee you this, that when Jesus sat down on that hillside to teach, and I think when Jesus taught anywhere and everywhere, I think, he clearly understood that some would feel empowered by what he had to say, and some would feel deeply disappointed by what he had to say. But everybody would feel upside down. His goal was not to paint a consoling picture for the have-nots or a punitive picture for the haves. But what, was, what Jesus was after, what Jesus was always after, was for us to take a long, loving look at the real, at what is real, what is truthful, what lasts, what matters. Because when we do that, we will have come to the center of all things. And that center is God, surprising, mysterious, abundant, gracious God, whose sacred promises are always kept. Let me say that again. Sacred promises are always kept, who wills us to keep close, to keep trying, to keep blessing. And the heavens will rejoice because the one who was lost has been found. And the blind will see and the lame will walk. And there will be no more wars and there will be no more rumors of war. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. And mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And that, my friends, is when we are confronted by the truth that the upside down of Jesus is the right side up of God. Amen. Will you stand? And let us affirm together what we believe. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of God. And whatever you do, 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. plans fall apart, if things aren't maybe what they seem, it's just an upside-down day, and maybe Jesus is in that upside-down day. People of God, we have a job to do. We have a mission. We have a purpose. Aren't we so blessed? And so now go from this place as God's people and do God's work and love in the name of Jesus. And may the love of God and the mercy and peace of Jesus Christ and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. And all of God's people said together, amen.